Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Four seasons. Over 30 incredible guests. Hundreds of podcast recommendations. I'm your host, Laura Whitmore, and in this special series of Castaway, we'll bring you the best bits from our back catalogue, sharing those golden Castaway moments and throwing in those bingeable podcast picks we're all hungry for along the way. Welcome to Castaway, the best bits. Hello, hello. If you're here for this special series of Castaway, you've passed the test. You're a podcast obsessive. But I'd like to reassure you that you're in safe hands, as I too am a podcastaholic. Seriously, though, we've got some great recommendations in this week's episode as we discuss all things popular culture. To kick us off, we have the wonderful Dolly Alton, author and host of the iconic podcast series, The High Low, which many fans are currently mourning. Dolly and I chatted about the fantastically smooth listen, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. The next podcast I want to talk about is the longest running one that you've mentioned. And I actually didn't realize how long it's been going for because I got into it about two years ago or so. But it's Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. And what we do mention, like everyone has a podcast. And you always wonder, you know, when you have like an actor who's probably so used to being interviewed all the time, when they turn the tables and they become the interviewer. And mm. I talked about this about David Tennant because I just think he's the best interviewer because he doesn't really say much and he gets so much out of the people he talks to. And mm. now we want to talk about Alec Baldwin because I know he can probably split opinions, but I love Alec Baldwin as an interviewer. I'm so pleased to hear that, Laura, because I feel like I am an Alec Baldwin podcast apologists everywhere I go I feel like people have really don't apologize I know I think people have really it's not actually lots of people but I think it's a lot of people of our generation maybe because he's got quite an old school style about him the way he conducts conversations yeah it's not the only interviewing style that I like but I I like it and you know there's something about he's such a New Yorker. When you hear that Miles Davis soundtrack mm-hmm. that begins, he's got this beautiful, like, velvety delivery. He is quite loveyish, loveyish. He is quite, you know, flirty and I don't know, very charming with his guests. He wants warmth. Yeah. He wants mm-hmm. connection. He's not, you know, hard hitting. He's not like challenging, I don't think, really. But for me, when I'm walking around Camden Town on like a rainy day in February and I'm listening to that, it feels glamorous and authoritative and confident and I just really enjoy listening he's to also it. just got a great voice just he the does. sound of it it's just sometimes you just want someone who's just got a great voice and I mean he's such a well-known actor and you you forget it's so recognizable the minute he opens his mouth you're like that's Alec Baldwin I feel he's gonna he's gonna control mm. the situation he's just got that presence I totally agree. You feel like you're in a really safe pair of hands with him as a mm-hmm. broadcaster. And he also, because probably of his profile, he pulls in really mm. big names. And the other thing I like about him, because he's obviously not a journalist, he's not interested in this idea really of like the, the like topical interview. Like sometimes he is, like he'll do a 
kind of controversial Zoom chat with mm. Woody Allen when his memoir came out. And to be fair to him, what your opinions are on Woody Allen or not, or whether you think he should be given a platform, I didn't see any other podcast interviews with Woody Allen mm. during that time. And he he does go to places that maybe more journalistic broadcasters would be more nervous or self-conscious to go to, or people who maybe are more embedded in the Twitter sphere. And he does just get these interviews, even if it's nothing to do with anything, Debbie Reynolds or Spike Lee or Julie Andrews, people who don't have work coming out that week that they're talking about, but these like great, great figures of classic popular culture. It was initially supposed to be two series, but now seven years later, over 150 interviews, it's really? still going. Tell me which ones are your, have you got any favourites? Was it Billy Joel he had on? Did you hear that one? Yeah, I mean, even for me, Laura, that got a bit lovely <laughs> when they started doing that bloody sing-along around oh, the piano. I'm, I'm so sorry. for that. I'm so for that. I needed that in my life at that time. So I was all, all about that. I just wish I was there. But that's the thing. You do feel like you're there. That's, it's different than watching a TV show. Like you kind of feel like you're eavesdropping yes. and you're part of it. Drummer couldn't figure out what, what to play. Phil actually told him, play a backwards samba. Boom. Da boom. Bop. Boom. Cha boom. Plataka. Boom. Boom. And it worked. It was like a backwards song. <laughs> what are we doing? We didn't know what we were doing. But Phil was right. Uh, I came in with the idea of playing uh, Only the Good Die Young as a reggae. Come out, Virginia. Don't let me wait. The Catholic girl start much too late. <laughs> Liberty throws his sticks at me. He goes, why are you doing it? Because the closest you've been to Jamaica is Queens. <laughs> What are you doing? It's changing trains to go down to Seaford. Change at Jamaica. Change at Jamaica. So For the he, train to Spionk. That's it. He said, uh, I'm not playing this. I'm not playing it. What are we going to do? So Phil came up with this shuffle against straight fours. And the, uh, the guitars are going, banana, banana, bop, bop, banana. <laughs> and, and we were playing it. But, and it worked. It was like two things jammed into each other. Phil knows how to do that. And when we would get tired or we get discouraged, he'd say, just stay. Stay a little longer. Try one more. All right, take a break. Let's have some Chinese. Okay? Uh, go back in. The post-Chinese food takes were always good. <laughs> right. I don't know why that yeah, was. Yeah, that MSG, man. It gets, it gets right into the fingertips. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. I've said from the start that my dream castaway guest is David Tennant. Guys, does anyone listening know David Tennant? I'm serious. David Tennant, are you listening? Slide into my DMs. Uh, David's voice might just be one of the smoothest in Britain. I do like Scottish accents. But it totally makes sense why he does have his own podcast. And he's so good at asking questions too. And I'm still campaigning to get him on the show. Recommended by multi-talented G. Fletcher in season one, G. explains the feel-good, friendly nature of David's podcast. Thanks to the safe space he creates for his guests. Check it out. G, I have to talk about another podcast that you listen to. And I love you even more because you listen <laughs> to this. And people who work on this podcast know that he is my guilty pleasure. And that is David Tennant. Ah. And David Tennant does a podcast. If the man couldn't get any better, he's only <laughs> brought out a podcast. Well, what's interesting about him is I, I think he talks to people who would normally shy away from mm. doing a podcast and having those conversations that are so personal, mm. you know. And uh, and he just has got into their homes or got into their spaces. And there's just something lovely about hearing people who he obviously has a relationship with or truly admires him and he admires them just chatting and it's it's amazing to feel like you're you're a in part there. of it 
Yeah, you're right. Because when you see a lot of those people like James Corden, Olivia Coleman, uh, he... Uh, who else? Did he Whoopi Goldberg? Did I see that as well? Goldberg, Ian McKellen. Yeah. Like you'd see them in situations where maybe they're on a Graham Norton or mm-hmm. a Jonathan Moss, but in a very, you know, television kind of organized manner where they're probably a little bit guarded. They're talking, they're yeah. on promo. Yeah. Um, while here, you're right. We're, we're, we're friends, kind of, just having you know a conversation. That, well, they know that he is not there to trap them into no. saying something that they're going to regret. They're saying it in a really safe place mm-hmm. with in front of someone who just has nothing but love for them. When well, were you born? 71. Oh, that's really old. I know. <laughs> it's not. I'm 74. Mm. Born 74. January the 30th. Yes. Yeah. Look at you. See, I've got notes in front oh of me. Oh, my God. Do you know, once on whatever it is, Wikipedia, they had my birthday as the wrong day, the wrong month, and sort of eight years before I was born. Oh, my God. Appalling. So I emailed them pretending it wasn't me. I was a school teacher, and actually that's not her birthday. Because you couldn't get cut. I didn't want to think think they were being so vain. What name did you make up? I can't remember. I can't remember. This was years ago. Did you use the name of someone you were actually at school with? I just think I gave my nickname, Collie. Right. thinking they wouldn't know. Right. um, Now they know. Uh, and then didn't get a reply and then I wrote again going, I'm sorry guys, but this is, it's, I know it's wrong and uh, they didn't reply and then I said, okay, it's actually, it's me and this is really upsetting <laughs> that you've made me eight years older than I actually am. It's I mean, awful. And uh, and they said, we'd have to see a birth certificate to prove and I went, whose fucking birth certificate did you look at in the first place to make me eight <laughs> years older? And so then they changed it and then I thought, fuck, I should have lied. So you, had to swear, made, you had to get angry and swear at them for yeah, them to take attention. I should have lied attention. and said I was younger. Yeah, it's that no barrier. It's yeah. just a gorgeous chat. I mean, I have to say, I didn't see it coming when he brought it out. I was like, no, at, at all. But he does have, actually, my boyfriend, who's also Scottish, is a bit jealous because I, I have this guilty pleasure about, <laughs> I talk about David Tennant quite a lot. <laughs> and he's like, he sounds like me. <laughs> Why is he on a podcast? He's got enough going on when I'm trying to use his voice for things. Yeah, from the moment they get in there. Yeah. Where they're like, I think it's Olivia. Does Olivia turn up with her dogs? And their dogs are yes, sort of going does. around, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just taking those little things that are happening, and it's yeah. not, it's not all you know polished, and it's it just feels like you're hanging out. It's real life, isn't it? Mm. And he happening. knows things about them mm. that you know that that we don't know because he's worked with. I them. wish David Tennant knew things about me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? I I didn't know David Tennant. That's not his name. What? Do you know what his real name is? What? David McDonald. <laughs> that's true his name is David McDonald and he changed it <laughs> it doesn't work the same does it David McDonald um, he changed it because there was another actor um, who obviously of didn't go course, on to do yeah. the same amount of things and he changed it to Tennant because of Pet Shop Boys because of Neil Tennant no. he, yeah he was reading Smash Hits and uh, he was just reading an inter- he had to change his name he needed to do something and he saw Tennant so he went oh, let's go with that that's so funny. Isn't that great? I also love the fact that his wife is the daughter of another Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. Yeah. <laughs> she posted a photo once of him and David changing a light bulb. And it was that, how many, how many, many, how many, <laughs> how many doctors did it take? I mean, that household has <laughs> got to be a lot of fun. In this episode, Jordan North included How to Wow with Chris Evans as one of his top listening recommendations. How to Wow with Chris Evans focuses on sharing the wisdom and experience from amazing guests and really hones in on the stories where amazing people achieve amazing things. Here's Jordan explaining why he loves this podcast. 
Now, speaking of another legend, Chris Evans, but this is a podcast, How to Wow. Tell me about this. Oh, my God. This is, honestly, this is so good. I don't know why he's not done a podcast sooner. And I think he only started it in September, October. And already he's released about, he's probably done about 30 or 40 episodes. And what I gather with Chris Evans is when he's into summer, he's into it. And he's like, pow, pow, pow. And he's he's like a toddler that runs around a room. and, And my housemate told me about this. And he said, you've got to listen to this. It's good. And as I was packing for the castle... I was. Look, can I just, I was, that sentence is amazing. As I was passing <laughs> for the castle, like, you know what I mean. If you told your younger self, that would be something that you'd say in a podcast. Oh look, God, who am I? So when I was getting ready to go away to Wales, <laughs> there you go. I put it on, and I still think now to the day that the first episode he did with Bryony Gordon is the mm. best one. So she's uh, okay. a journalist. Yeah. And she talks about her alcoholism and mm. it's just them chatting for about an hour and a half. And it's so good. I think he's one of the best interviewers going mm. at the moment. And you, you know Chris Evans for like this big energetic breakfast show that he did on Radio 2 and now he does it on Virgin. But he's a great interviewer. And his energy in this podcast is just great. And he gets people on and he lets them talk. And he asks the best questions. And I just, I think he's a really good interviewer. And he's had, so, he did another really good episode. And basically he's got Richard Osman on there. And Richard Osman's like, and I'm a, I'm a TV and radio geek. And he's yeah. like talking about how to pitch TV shows. And I'm listening to this. I'm writing notes down in my phone going, <laughs> oh, that, that's how you do it. Because he's basically said, there's no new idea. I've been, because he, he worked for Endable for years, didn't he? He was like, I've done this yeah. for years. Yeah. Trust me. And it's just, he gets the best out of him. And his energy is infectious and I know I know people that have worked with him and that's a big thing when he's on the radio and I think he transports that into a podcast is you've got to sound like you're having the best time in the world. You've got to be enjoying it to still do it. Uh, one thing that we mentioned there, you know, when you're on a podcast, you see a different side to people, like who you're interviewing. You just, they're a little bit more relaxed. Also, I think it's lovely to see someone like, like Chris Evans, who we know from the radio, high energy, you know, I grew up watching him on telly and especially quick shows to do a podcast where there's a little bit more space. I do feel like there's a little bit of a, and he's still Chris Evans and we all know and love, but I don't know. I do feel like a podcast is a, still a different domain for him. Definitely. And I, I think he's finding his feet with it, but I also think he's really excited by it and he's really into it and he's just releasing episodes every I think he's doing two a week at some points, but I just hope he doesn't get bored of it. I can't keep up with him. There's that many, but definitely like listen. Waking up early, set your alarm at 6am just to listen to him. <laughs> just to listen to him. But yeah, listen to the Brainy Gordon one. She talks yeah. so openly about her struggle with alcoholism and how she didn't realise she was an alcoholic and she's like how she used to embarrass herself on nights out and stuff. And you just listen to it and you're like, wow. We talk about rock bottoms a lot in sobriety. And I remember when I went to <laughs> treatment, I remember the person saying to me, that the, the therapist saying to me, addiction is a lift going down, right? So you can choose to get off whenever you want, but if you get back on, <laughs> you will go further down. And it was interesting because the, the, I, I decided to stop drinking after a night out uh, almost three years ago now. And it wasn't any worse particularly than any of my other nights that I'd had. Um, but it was, I just, I think I was like hollowed out by self-loathing. I just couldn't do it anymore. So, you know, on a very, on a 
sort of get down to the nuts and bolts I had that August 2017 I had had like I tried to get sober before um I'd, I'd run a marathon my first marathon in April 2017 and I, I'd sort of done that to to prove to myself that I could stop drinking I was like that this is what's going to stop me from drinking so much and and it didn't so I stopped drinking for the duration of running the marathon but if anything I sort of hit the booze harder it was like I was having to balance out the scales. So you'd go off and do like a 10 mile run and then I'd have a pint for each mile afterwards. And I tried to get sober after that marathon because I'd seen this different way of living, but I'd fallen off the wagon and again, and it got really bad really quickly. So I went to a friend's 40th in the countryside and that sort of ended in an assault basically, which I still find really difficult to sort of vocalize. And then but a few days after that, I, I just went out on the bank holiday weekend, even though I was supposed to be going away with my husband and daughter, I just left them in the house. And the most important thing to me was to get pissed, was to get out of it. Like nothing else mattered. And um, I just went AWOL on the night. Nothing nothing terrible happened to me, but I sort of came to in a sort of near stranger's house at flat and to messages from my husband saying, where are you? This is this is, this is not tenable anymore. Um, you know, you, you, you're making, you're worrying us too much. And I was 37, I had a four-year-old daughter and I sort of on paper had it all, you know, a house in Clapham and a best-selling book. And I was interviewing people like Prince Harry, but I was sort of dying inside, you know. You kind of think of Chris Evans as the, I know back in the day, the party boy. I just remember like he was like the wild child. And I'm sure there's lots of comparisons that, you know, he can kind of get Briony to speak about things that she's very open. Her books are brilliant, but it's just nice seeing her interviewed by someone like a Chris Evans. Definitely. And I say, to, when when I get messages on Twitter and stuff and people say, uh, I want to get into radio, what should I do? I always say, buy his two books. Mm -hmm. read his two autobiographies like in this autobiography he talks about you know all the fast cars and all the money he had but like he puts a radio clock and like a running order in the book like he sketches it in and it's like nobody who's not into radio would be interested in this and it's just it's a fascinating insight into his life when he was in the 90s and I know know that you love reading and stuff and I had to laugh when I was watching Arm of Celebrity because you mentioned um, the lads at the deck that you'd read their books because I when I first when when I first got the I'm a celeb job and I I did five theories of it I got their first book autobiography and read it before I went to Australia and I only met them in Australia and I remember them telling a story and like we're having drinks I think it was like Anne's birthday and I knew all the stories and I was like oh yeah and then you're like oh no it's so embarrassing like I've read your life story so like I know this Look, it's so embarrassing when that happens it, I love, it I is it. and this is why they say don't meet your heroes and you know if we're saying Chris Evans is the best in radio and 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 Miles and so many others but then you've got to think TV wise it's, it's mm. them guys isn't it big you time know? they're the top of the game and I used to watch them on SMTV everyone goes on about wonky donkey but yeah chums and oh my uh, god see the UK afterwards was a little bit cooler but yeah chums all of it there you go and they used to do um, a sketch called Eminem a day that people forget about where Eminem had just come on and wrecked the set and they used to do the Vicar of Dribbly as well where they used to spit water on each other and stuff oh I love it Next up, the wonderful Deborah Francis White chose a classic podcast in the form of Best Pick Podcast, which features John Dorney, 
Jessica Regan and Tom Selinski. At the beginning of 2018, the trio set themselves a task to put the names of all the Academy Award Best Picture winners in a hat, draw them out in a random order, and then discuss each one in turn. Here's Deborah explaining why this made it on her list. We're going to move on to your next pick, which is Best Pick. Uh, and actually, I, do, I hadn't heard of this podcast, so thank you for bringing it to my attention. Tell me a little bit about Best Pick. Well, despite my throbbing bias on this one, because it is... <laughs> Isn't it your yeah, company? <laughs> it is my company, but also my husband and his two cinephile friends, they're mad cinephiles, wild mm-hmm. cinephiles, John Dorney, Jessica Regan, they decided to watch every single Oscar Best Picture winner. Wow. And they research it. They research the year, what else was happening in film. They research what happened at the Oscars that year. They research all of the gossip from the film. And they deliver all of their findings. Then they watch the film. And then you on the podcast, mm-hmm. of course, you can watch it if you want, or you can just, you know, there's just, they just play a bit of the soundtrack so that you know, oh, they've watched it now. And then they review it. Then they sit together and they say, what did you think of it? Of course, sometimes they've seen it before years ago. Sometimes they've never seen it. And they ultimately ask the question, did the Academy get it right? And so they have to do a lot of watching around that film. So Tom's like every night, he'll be like, I need to watch this. Well, I was going to ask, are you watching them with him? Does that mean that you kind of have to sit there as the TV taken up with him watching the, the winning film from whatever year? It's like you live in my flat, Laura. It's like, oh, I've got to watch... <laughs> You're upstairs a- in the bar at this stage, Deborah. You're upstairs in the loft having a, having Absolutely. a drink. Absolutely. Because it's like, oh, I've got to watch this classic from 1937. You know, and then I sort of, you know, walk upstairs and, of course, I want to be watching The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel. And in there, mm-hmm. he's in there watching some sort of, you know, golden age of the musical, you know, sort of, all I do, the whole night through, it's really about you. <laughs> And this is this is not singing in the rain. This is the movie that predated the singing in the rain. That, that singing in the rain that that song came from. That he's doing yeah. for some research for singing in the rain. I'm like, oh my god! But it just won uh, a bronze award uh, for best arts podcast, but arts and culture yeah, podcast, the British, podcast, the British podcast awards. Yeah, and it's a small show. You know, they started it yeah. on their own just because they loved it, and they said, look, if we get a little audience, we want to do this for ourselves, mm-hmm. and we are learning. We're going to educate ourselves about cinema because we love cinema and if anyone listens great and they had that attitude of if we have a small audience who care as much as we do we don't care frankly if we're entertaining you know a hundred people and it built and built and built and built and now you know Jessica said to me that there she was at before lockdown BFI screenings where all of these film critics were coming up and going we use this as a resource we absolutely adore the show the research is really serious Mm. and also they're having a good time so they do serious in-depth research and they check their facts there was a, a great story Tom told about the Oscars where in 1933 again this is my life (laughs) <laughs> Will Rogers, as in the archaic Will Rogers, read out the winner of Best Director with the words, come up and get it, Frank. Instead of saying the winner is, he said, come up and get it, Frank. Frank Capra, who was nominated, <gasps> jumps oh. out of his seat to collect the award. Confused as to why the spotlight had not found him, he's actually almost at the stage and then he sees Frank Lloyd lit on the other side of the room get up and claim the award to Frank's. That's why you don't say come up and get it, Frank. Frank Capra has to skulk back to his seat. Do you remember um, that happened though? Remember, it was a Warren Beatty who read out La La Land a few years yes. ago. That's happened a few times oh. now. Just 
just oh. double check when you're given I, as when I gave out my British podcast awards I, I made sure to read what I saw written down and not just make it up myself me too me too it's so I mean that's that was terrible that Moonlight uh, La La Land oh. one but you know it's not all kind of implausibly over your head film criticism either the year that they they looked at Ali Hall which is you yeah. know an art house film they all said that they, it should have been Star Wars that won. The year that they looked at Deer Hunter, John said it should have been Superman. You know, there are times when they also have a sort of accessible view of films and they say, look, mm. this film is so much more influential. I did, yeah. I guessed it on one and it was American Beauty, mm-hmm. which I don't think holds up to be a Best Picture winner at all. Mm-hmm. But that was the year The Matrix came out. The Matrix wasn't even nominated and it's so much more an influential film. I think also hindsight, is it's when you kind of see a few years on which ones have actually stood the test of time and, and which ones are still feel relevant. Also, with each different film, I know from some of the ones that are, are, I've listened to, I think it's really telling of that time. And I remember the one they talked about was The Shape of Water in 2017. And this was just, you know, as the height of the Me Too movement was happening. And I think it's really interesting seeing what film won at that time. And that kind of starts other conversations to the podcast as well. Absolutely. Well, they often get me on for a feminist one. That's what American Beauty was partly about, you know, the, the depiction of this relationship and Kevin Spacey and so on and so on. And and so we talk about those issues, but you've got to talk about it because that's the year. And if that's what won, mm-hmm. that's what won. And you've got mm-hmm. to look at it. And I think actually looking at it in context and also analysing why these stories were told or how they were told, it can be very, very useful in mm-hmm. creating the sort of world and storytelling we, we wish to create going forward. One of the things I find interesting in the research as well was that that part was originally offered to Kirsten Dunst. And she turned it down because she wasn't comfortable with the content, with the nudity and saying, and kissing Kevin Spacey and found it an awkward thing. She was 15 at the time. And you're thinking, yeah, I can completely oh. understand that. She That's also cool. found it quite traumatising when she took his Brad Pitt when she was about seven or eight, which mm. she did in The Vampire. And she has gone on to say, like, that was actually horrible and I didn't enjoy it. And, you know, with no disrespect to Brad Pitt, but you mm. kind of look back at it now and you go, they didn't need to mouth kiss. That wasn't a thing that we needed to see. It could all have been implied. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wonder what many Suvari's journey has been because you do attract a lot of creeps when you do roles well, like that. Well, she was 20 years old when she made the film, though. Mm. And I think that's old enough to kiss Kevin Spacey. Oh, sure. I mean, Kevin would say too old. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> Sorry. Well, let's talk Sorry. about this because we're watching this film now in 2018 and certain facts about Kevin Spacey have come to light. So, Deb, do you have a view about how we should approach watching films like this where we've, we know things maybe we'd rather not know about some of the people involved in their well, making? this year at the Golden Globes, Seth Meyers opening with uh, Welcome Ladies and Remaining Gentlemen. And, I mean, our canon of films we can watch is rapidly diminishing. I mean, we're, our DVD shelves are, frankly, decimated. Bye-bye, X-Men. I mean, well, here's the thing, though. Here's the counter-argument to that. I think when it's an artist, if it's a Woody Allen, uh, Hannah Gadsby said the other day, people said, oh, you've got to separate the artist from the work. And she said to me, OK, then, let's look at his work. Manhattan, it's a film about a middle-aged man having sex with an underage girl or a... a She's 17, it's quite clear in the film. Mm. Yeah. Louis C.K.'s film that is unreleased is called Daddy, I Love You and is about some of these issues I love you, Daddy, isn't it? Or I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. It's an older man, young woman, power dynamic film. So I would suggest, okay, if an artist has authored something, then often their values have seeped into their work 
And I am absolutely not for revisionism or censorship or anything like that. But if I've only got so many hours in a week or a month or a year to watch things, I think I'd rather watch something made by some... Like I just, we're just so drenched in this kind of toxic masculinity and power imbalance. And sometimes I just feel like we're bathing in the milk of toxic masculinity. So... Listen, I'm not for take half the paintings out of the National Portrait Gallery by any means, because it's part of our history. And if you write all those things out of our history, it doesn't explain why the power imbalance exists in life. However, I've only got so many hours in a year to watch things. So I want to choose to watch things which I feel are empowering. Where it comes to films with Kevin Spacey in, where he's taken the job, here's my problem with going, you can't watch any film with Kevin Spacey in. If I say I can't watch any film with Kevin Spacey in, including American Beauty, Annette Bening's performance is erased. And why should it be? It is phenomenal. Why does Kevin Spacey's appalling well, behaviour get to erase I think the world? Christopher Plummer's too old. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On the same vein, the lovely Emma Gannon shouted out the Awards Chatter podcast, which features in-depth interviews with the most interesting and accomplished people in show business. Over to you, Emma. The final podcast that's on your recommendations list is Awards Chatter podcast, and it's in-depth interviews with the most interesting and accomplished people in show business. Scott Feinberg created it and hosts it. Tell me a little bit about this podcast. So this is kind of what it says on the tin. It's a podcast interviewing Hollywood's finest actors or directors. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's the Oscars of podcasts, really. It mm-hmm. really gets in there with with everyone who's nominated for all the big awards. And it's not really that it's like the celebrities I'm interested in. It's more that Scott is the most incredible interviewer. He researches like I've never seen before. He'll remind people of things in their lives where they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you know that. Like, I forgot about that. He'll be, mm-hmm. you know, like to Olivia Coleman or something. He's like, in 1994, you did this. And she's shocked at how <laughs> he remembered that or found that. So mm-hmm. it's a really incredible journey through someone's career. It's not just about the film they're in. It's like taking that actor through their life. I suppose it's a bit like Desert Island Discs, but without the music. He mm-hmm. just really gets the truth of their career out of them. And I love it. And when you say you were getting work even beyond that collaboration, that was The Office, right? Black Books around that time. Yeah. Green Wing. So. Gosh, well done. (laughs) No, well, I just think it's to say that there was a lot of comedic work at the beginning, which for people who have only caught up maybe more recently might be be a little surprising. Yeah. But I guess the big one with them 
that and really in terms of probably at that point putting you on a radar larger than anything up to that point would have been peep show yes can you explain for any americans who Mm. are again late to the party just you know what that involved sounds rude peep show (laughs) not well it's not as rude as you think (laughs) so peep show was sam bain and jesse armstrong who wrote together and they sometimes write you know their own things as well they had been writing for other people and so had Rob and David. And I think they all met when they were all writing for someone else. And Sam and Jesse just thought, these two are hilarious and we should write something for them. I think that's how it all worked out. And it's all filmed from POV, point of view. So we had a camera, initially it was sort of on a hat on our head. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and and it was, well, we're not very good camera people. And it also, as you got hot and sweaty wearing this thing on your head, it would start to slide. Oh, my And you've God. got to... And someone would grab the back of your head to try and keep your head... Right, So right. the camera's still getting the right <laughs> image. And then after the first series, they realised that was silly. And so we got a proper <laughs> camera op. Who, yeah, who yeah. did it with the digicam. And then we put our arms around him to do all of the stuff and drinking. And I'm, do, I'm doing hand signals, which is rubbish. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We know actors for playing a certain role. Same about musicians. We know them for their music. We don't really know them as a person. We'll see them do interviews for promo or red carpets, being at the awards ceremony, picking up the award. And sometimes I feel the most insight you get is when they accept the award, but then the music comes and they have to be shoved off stage because yeah. no one can, no one has uh, longer than, you know, a few minutes. This is, as you said, it's an in-depth interview. There are long interviews. There's a lot of research in there and it's a journey yeah. for the for the interviewee it as well. Is. And it like you say, you know, when you go on a Wikipedia page and you're like, wow, this person, look at what they've mm. done. This is like the Wikipedia page, but with all of the rejections in there as well. And mm-hmm. so they'll tell you about the audition. They, you know, one of them, I can't remember which interview it was, but it's a really high profile actor who basically says that he was up for the role of like Jack in Titanic or something and didn't get Mm. it. And like, you realise that these are people who, they've all been rejected. And I think we forget that about actors is that Mm. a lot of them will have auditioned for a role and then they'll probably have to see that movie like in the cinemas and they and know that they didn't get it. Mm. And so it's really interesting hearing all about that stuff. It's humanising, isn't it? Humanising people. Yeah, exactly. It's that, you know, these actors are no different really from anyone else in terms of going for a job interview and sometimes getting it and sometimes not. It's just mostly they don't get it. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Turning away from their usual interests, the dream duo at Red Handed provided us with an American favourite back issue, a podcast that looks back at some of the formative moments in pop culture. As hosts Tracy Clayton and Josh Gwynn ask questions such as, how did we let this happen? To, why do we still love this? Here's what Hannah and Saruthi love about it. The next podcast that is on your recommendations is Back Issue. Tell me about Back Issue. So when we started Red Handed in 2017, Another Round, which is a podcast produced by BuzzFeed, hosted by Tracy Clayton and Heaven Nagati, was Mm -hmm. it. It was the biggest show in the world. It won every award. And Tracy shouted us out on um, Another Round when (laughs) we'd only been going for like, I think, literally three months. So... We felt like that was couldn't possibly be real. So we got in touch with Tracy and kept this dialogue um, going with her. And she's been an incredible mentor in the podcast. Did you message her and go, is this real? Yeah, is this real? (laughs) Are you the real Tracy Clayton? After we had a total meltdown in the pub, uh, we realised as well that Tracy had done this. (laughs) 
and she's come on red handed now and she's a, a wonderful yeah. friend and mm. also the most charismatic person I've ever met. Like every sentence out of her mouth is a soundbite, which makes her A, an icon and B, effortless podcaster. So Back Issue is her most current show that she's doing with a guy called Josh Gwynn, who's a producer over at Pineapple Street. And mm-hmm. it's just about pop culture, which is incorrect. My favorite one is the one they did about America's Next Top Model. Yeah. And you don't think about it at the time, but it, some of it is really problematic. But like still my favorite pop culture moment of all time is Tyra losing her absolute mind at Tiffany being like, learn something from this. <laughs> and there is a whole episode of Back Issue about that moment. Like what else could you want? Yeah. And then also they get Jay Manuel on to explain what it was like being the art director. Before we go there, let's rein it back and kind of revisit some of the moments that we think of when we think of the name Tyra Banks and then see if Jay maybe has some of the answers. But first, the stunts. I cannot think of a stuntier queen than Tyra Banks. Josh, I don't know if you're aware, but Tyra has made some decisions in her day. Oh, I know. Did a couple of wild things, um, like that time she gave out bedazzled Vaseline to her talk show audience, and they were so excited for some I think about that like once a week. Or that time that she went undercover as like homeless and she just like uh, put dirt on her face and was my, like, I'm homeless now. Oh my. And then she did the same thing when she went undercover as an overweight person in like a fat suit. I remember that. Like, or remember when she had Kenya from America's Next Top Model like pretend to be an elephant? When like, she was she, real like, worried about her weight. Exactly. Yes. Could have been a coincidence. We're going to get into that one later, for sure. Yes. We have to spend some time there. We must, because I'm still not over that. I'm still not over a lot of things. <laughs> but that. Right. She has this tendency to make everything about herself. Like, one time she gave Miley Cyrus a birthday present for her 16th birthday, and it was a picture of her at 16. What? Wait, hold on. Time out. Wait a second. Did this happen, like, in real life? Yeah, it happened in real life. They were at Disneyland. At Disneyland? Wait. <laughs> that is me at 16 years old. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you this. This symbolizes me, and I'm so proud of you. Oh, my gosh. You're carrying the torch of the 16-year-olds. I could, like, not ask for a cooler present. Really? Sarah really? Banks gave Miley Cyrus two pictures of her for her birthday. This represents me <laughs> on your day, but it's about me on your day. Happy birthday to me. you. Here's a picture of me. me. I hope you can be like me. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> From Tyra Banks. <laughs> <laughs> She's so goofy. I mean, there's all different types of moments they talk about, and it's all like well-known moments in pop culture that you wouldn't think you could make a podcast out of. The one I listened to was, and this brings me back, like MTV Video Music Awards, but remember Brandy and Monica? Do you remember they had that song yes. together? And then they apparently had this punch-up. And then you're like, oh my God, a whole podcast where we can talk about this and scrutinize this. And just... And I love it. Again, it's kind of similar to why we're so obsessed with murders mm-hmm. and stuff. We just love, I don't know, there's certain people in pop culture we just become obsessed with and we kind of want to know or think that we should know what's going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. And I think the Tyra Banks one in particular is such a, an eye-opener because I think so many of our generation, especially women, grew up watching that show and loving it. And then here mm-hmm. is this podcast now, a way in which we as modern women now consume our entertainment. And it's uh, critiquing all the incredibly problematic things that 
were happening in our childhood from this show we were obsessed with. I think uh, that's just such a fascinating premise for a show and absolutely why it works. And to be honest, anything Tracy did would work. But of course, if it's about pop culture, even better. (laughs) And last but not least, we have the hilarious Jamie Lang sharing the cult phenomenon US show Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, which endearingly pokes fun at the fact that all of Conan's friends are the people that work for him. Have a listen. But this is Conan O'Brien needs a friend. And after I think about 25 years of being, you know, on the late night show and interviewing all these great stars, Conan said he realized that the only people at his holiday party were the men and women who worked for him. He was like, I have no friends. And all these people he'd interview as celebrity guests, they, they, he never really had a real friendship with them. So he decided to start a podcast to get friends. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. He is, and you know, and I think this happens to um, to a lot of people where you you you, you kind of go through life, um, you know, not really. You know, and I think I did this for a while where I was just kind of focused on myself a lot and focused on what I was achieving and different things. And I think a lot of people do that, especially if you're highly successful. You just focus on work all the time and that's what you do. And Conan O'Brien was one of these people that I actually came across uh, quite late. I, I started watching his YouTube videos. This is about six years ago. And he, he has, he's an amazing chat show host in America. I think he's one of the best. He does one of the late shows. Um, a very funny stand-up comedian. He was doing all these YouTube videos where he... Uh, interviews his staff or he interviews uh, different people and things like that and he was hilarious and he then went and started doing his podcast Conan Brown Needs a Friend and honestly for me it is one of the funniest podcasts out there because he the way his mind works is so random creative and quick the way he has chats with different individuals and he's highly intelligent. Mm. It's just such a refreshing relief because I, I sort of became frustrated with a lot of interview shows out there. So you see the late show with James Corden or even, you know, even, you know, Graham Norton is the master in it. He's unbelievable to make it seem so relaxed and calm and, and chilled. But at the same time, you know, all, all of the guests who go on these shows, they kind of know what questions are going to come up and what's going to be said and how the, it's going to flow in some sort of way. And with Conan O'Brien's podcast, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know how people are going to react. You don't know what's going to happen. And people pay thousands thousands of pounds for, for writers and people to sit in a room and come up with amazing content. But on his podcast, he just sits there and the content he comes up with and the conversations he has, you couldn't pay any writer in the world to come up with that because it's too random and authentic. And mm-hmm. that's why it's such a great podcast. Uh, and do you know who he's had on that podcast? Paul Rudd. Uh, Oh, he said Paul Rudd. And God, I just love Paul. I would, honestly, if I had to marry someone, it would be Paul Rudd. Because he's just the nicest guy. I He's just the nicest human ever. There's no one as nice as Paul Rudd. I've never met him, but he just seems so lovely. And then on Conan O'Brien's podcast, he was just so nice as well. So you are starting. You're starting to sound a little bit stalkerish, Jamie. Yeah. I, do you know what? I it's, I have. I've stalked him. I've tried to find him. I uh, I try. He doesn't have social media. He has nothing. He's like he's like a ghost. I want. I, I want. To... I want a podcast uh, that you're hosting called Finding Paul Rudd and your search to find Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh my god! I love him. It's like it's like catching a Pokemon. <laughs> when Clueless came out, and you were this fresh-faced young man that showed up on the program, very funny, very nice. Uh, and we've 
constantly been running into each other. I've interviewed you a million times, but also just I, I, I'll pass you. I'll have uh, Paul Rudd encounters, sort yeah. of like seeing a Yeti in the woods. <laughs> and it's really always a very nice experience. And I'll tell you exactly about one of them, which is JFK Airport. I think it was JFK. I was walking through JFK airport mm -hmm. and my wife and I ran into you and you hadn't shaved and you were holding a guitar case. A banjo. You had a banjo yeah. in it. And you said that you were learning it and practicing it. And we just had the nicest talk with you. And here's the weird thing. Every time I know exactly where it was in JFK airport, because every time I walk through that part of JFA, at JFK airport, I have the same thought, which is, yeah, I saw Paul Rudd here with his banjo. Like every I have the single- exact, I have the exact same memory and I walk past that same spot and I think the same thing. Isn't that weird? That is, that is. It's like a nice, there should be a plaque there. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, I, that sounds grandiose. I know some people listening are like, that's a little far, but I think there should be a plaque commemorating that you and I had a nice moment. There. I think I, did, I think I said you, I think I said yeah. I'm trying to learn uh, banjo, and um, you said you said something about do you want to punish your family or yeah, so yeah. that you're uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. It's probably some cruel some, remark. Some, no, some, <laughs> it made it was very funny. Not so funny that I remember it verbatim clearly. <laughs> no, but it was, I, like, it was a solid C plus. Yeah, but I remember laughing. <laughs> Not so much at the one joke, but more a career in comedy. Thank you. The joys about Conan is he has so many contacts and he knows so many people through the years. So, I mean, he's had everyone on the show from Ellen to Sarah Silverman to Steve Coogan, actually this week, Jack Black, like just all these, all these people. And it must be, it must be great when you have that Rolodex and, and you know, that address book that you can just open up and have all those numbers. Oh, yeah, that's what's so amazing about it. And I think that with his podcast, I started listening to it because he got those big names. You know, he got the ones you've just said, all those different ones. Mm -hmm. What I started to do is I started to listen to the ones which I didn't know so much. He gets a lot of the American comedians on who haven't mm -hmm. quite drifted over to the UK. But still, it's just so funny and so entertaining because it's so natural and so relaxed and so chilled. Um, and as always, with a very sort of funny podcast like that, you kind of want to have your... Uh, sort of counterparts. You kind of want to have your buddies on it. And he has his he has his assistant called Sona and also his producer called Matt Gawley who work with him. And he just basically throughout the entire thing just takes the piss out of them. And it's an amazing relationship that you have. There's, But it's also, there's that respect there. There's that kind of camaraderie there. There's everything there. It's one of those podcasts that if you are on a run, if you are having a bad day, if you are walking down the street commuting, you can just listen to sit back and relax. Relax. And I think that's sometimes what people need. We are sometimes so involved in like listening to something that's either going to uh, stimulate us or going to teach us something or we're going to find out something new or this or that or it's going to make us feel better. But actually, there's something really wonderful in just sitting back, relax and just listening to something that's funny. And that makes you feel better. And Conan Brown Needs a Friend is perfect for something like that. Thanks so much for tuning into this special episode of Castaway. Remember to tune in next Thursday for another edition covering a whole new selection of juicy podcasts. As always, we'd love you to rate, review, follow and subscribe. And I'll see you next time.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.